We left off being introduced to Dumbledore, an old man that was very respected, and Professor McGonagall, who seemed to have transformed from a cat into a professor, which is like a teacher. Professor McGonagall seemed curious about what was going on because there seems to be a lot of people talking about this big event and a lot of people celebrating. So let's pick up where we left off. What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night Voldemort turned up in Godric's Hollow. He went to find the Potters. The rumor is that Lily and James Potter are... are... they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James? I can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Albus. Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know. I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to kill the Potter's son, Harry. But he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how, but they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somehow broke, and that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded glumly. It's it's true, faltered Professor McGonagall. After all he's done, all the people that he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy? It's just astounding of all the things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. We may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had 12 hands, but no numbers. Instead, little planets were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hagrid's late. I suppose it was he who told you I'd be here, by the way? Yes, said Professor McGonagall. And I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here of all places. I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family he has left now. You don't mean, you can't mean the people who live here, cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find more find two people who are less like us and they've got this son I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street screaming for streets Harry Potter coming and living here it's the best place for him said Dumbledore firmly his aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older I have written them a letter A letter, repeated Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, 
You think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written in about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. <clears throat> exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. It would be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous before he can walk and talk. Famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed, and then said, Yes, yes, you're right, of course. But how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak suddenly, as though she thought he might be hiding Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. You think it wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McGonagall grudgingly. But you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of a headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky, and a huge motorcycle fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorcycle was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man, and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed, and so wild. Long tangles of bushy black hair and a beard hid most of his face. He had hands the size of trash can lids, and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast, vast muscular arms, he was holding a Hagrid, said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. At last. And where did you get that motorcycle? Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorcycle as he spoke. Young Sirius Black lent it to me. I've got him, sir. No problems were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep as we were flying over Bristol. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy, fast asleep. Under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead, they could see a curiously shaped cut, like a lightning bolt. Is that where? whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have won myself above my left knee that is a perfect map of London underground. Well, give him here, Hagrid. 
We'd better get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned toward the Dursley's house. Could I, could I say goodbye to him, sir? Said Hagrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what must have been a very scratchy and whiskery kiss. Then suddenly, Hagrid let out a howl like a wounded dog. Shh, hissed Professor McGonagall. You'll wake the muggles. Sorry, sobbed Hagrid, taking out a large spotted handkerchief and burying it in his face. But I can't stand it. Lily and James dead and... Poor little Harry, off to live with the muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad, but get a grip on yourself, Hagrid, or we'll be found, Professor McGonagall whispered, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took uh, took the letter out of his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at this little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked furiously, and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Dumbledore, finally, that's it. We've no business staying here. We may as well go join the celebrations. Yeah, said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. I'll be taken serious as bike back. Good night, Professor McGonagall. Professor Dumbledore, sir. Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself onto his motorcycle and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down to the street. On the corner, he stopped and took out his silver put-outer. He clicked it once, and twelve balls of light sped back onto their street lamps, so that Privet Drive glowed, suddenly orange, and he could make out a tabby cat slinking around the corner at the other end of the street. He couldn't see, he could just see the bundle of blankets on the step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel, and with a swish of his cloak, he was gone. A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of Privet Drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky, the very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him, and he slept on it. Not knowing he was special. Not knowing he was famous. Not knowing he would be woken up in a few hours by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles. Nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know that at this very moment, people meeting in secret all over the country were holding up glasses and saying in hushed voices, to Harry Potter, the boy who lived.
In this chapter, we learned that Dumbledore, Professor McGonagall, and Hagrid were dropping off this famous baby named Harry Potter to go live with the Dursleys, a no-nonsense family that seemed to think they were a little better than everyone else. I'm already starting to think about what Harry will be like growing up with this family. And it seems that this family is different in some way. They were calling them muggles. I'm already curious about how that will all play out. And if Harry Potter will ever get to read that letter that Dumbledore had written for the Dursleys. We'll find out in our next chapter. Chapter 2, The Vanishing Glass Nearly ten years had passed since the Dursleys had woken up to find their nephew on the front step, but Privet Drive had hardly changed at all. The sun rose on the same tidy front garden and lit up the brass number four on the Dursleys' front door. It crept into their living room, which was almost exactly the same as it had been on the night when Mr. Dursley had seen the fateful news report about the owls. Only the photographs on the mantelpiece really showed how much time had passed. Ten years ago, there had been lots of pictures of what looked like a large pink beach ball wearing different colored bonnets. But Dudley Dursley was no longer a baby, and now the photograph showed a large blonde boy riding his first bicycle on a carousel at the fair, playing a computer game with his father, and being hugged and kissed by his mother. The room held no sign that there was another boy living in this house, too. Yet Harry Potter was still there, asleep at the moment, but not for long. His Aunt Petunia was awake, and it was her shrill voice that made the first noise of the day. Up! Get up now! Harry woke with a start. His aunt rapped on the door again. Up! She screeched. Harry heard her walking toward the kitchen and then the sound of a frying pan being put on the stove. He rolled onto his back and tried to remember the dream he was having. It was a good one. There had been a flying motorcycle in it. He had a funny feeling that he'd had the same dream before. His aunt was back outside the door. Are you up yet? She demanded. Nearly, said Harry. Well, get a move on. I want you to look after some bacon and don't you dare let it burn i want everything perfect on duddy's birthday harry groaned what did you say his aunt snapped through the door nothing nothing dudley's birthday how could he have forgotten harry got slowly out of bed and started looking for socks he found a pair under his bed and after pulling a spider off one he put them on Harry was used to the spiders because the cupboard under the stairs was full of them, and that was where he slept. When he was dressed, he went down the hall into the kitchen. The table was almost hidden beneath all Dudley's presents. It looked as though Dudley had gotten the new computer he wanted, not to mention the second television and the racing bike. Exactly why Dudley wanted a racing bike was a mystery to Harry, as Dudley was very fat and hated to exercise, unless, of course, it involved punching somebody. Dudley's favorite punching bag was Harry.
but he couldn't often catch him. Harry didn't look it, but he was very fast. Perhaps it had something to do with living in the dark cupboard, but Harry had always been small and skinny for his age. He looked even smaller and skinnier than he really was because all he had to wear were old clothes of Dudley's, and Dudley was about four times bigger than he was. Harry had a thin face, knobby knees, black hair, and bright green eyes. He wore round glasses held together with a lot of scotch tape because all of the times uh, Dudley had punched him in the nose. The only thing Harry liked about his own appearance appearance was a very thin scar on his forehead that was shaped like a lightning bolt. He had had it for as long as he could remember, and the first question he could ever remember asking Aunt Petunia was how he had gotten it. In the car crash when your parents died, she had said, and don't ask questions. Don't ask questions was the first rule for a quiet life with the Dursleys. Uncle Vernon entered the kitchen as Harry was turning over the bacon. Comb your hair, he barked by way of morning greeting. About once a week, Uncle Vernon looked over the top of his newspaper and shouted that Harry needed a haircut. Harry must have had more haircuts than the rest of the boys in his class put together, but it made no difference. His hair simply grew that way, all over the place. Harry was frying eggs by the time Dunley arrived in the kitchen with his mother. Dunley looked like a lot like Uncle Vernon. He had a large pink face, not much neck, small watery blue eyes, and thick blonde hair that lay smoothly on his thick fat head. Aunt Petunia often said that Dunley looked like a baby angel. Harry often said that Dunley looked like a pig in a wig. Harry put the plates of eggs and bacon on the table, which was difficult as there wasn't much room. Dudley, meanwhile, was counting his presents. His face fell. Thirty-six, he said, looking up at his mother and father. Father, That's two less than last year. Darling, you haven't counted Aunt Marsh's presents, see? It's here under this big one from Mommy and Daddy. All right, 37 then, said Dudley, going red in the face. Harry, who could see a huge Dudley tantrum coming on, began wolfing down his bacon as fast as possible in case Dudley turned the table over. Aunt Petunia obviously sensed the danger too, because she quickly said, And we'll buy you another two presents, and when we go out today, how's that, Popkin? Two more presents, is that all right? Dudley thought for a moment. It looked like hard work. Finally, he said slowly, So I'll have thirty... thirty... Thirty-nine, sweetums, said Aunt Petunia. Oh, Dudley sat down heavily and grabbed the nearest parcel. All right, then. Uncle Vernon chuckled. Little Tyke wants his money's worth just like his father. Had a boy, Dudley. He ruffled Dudley's hair. At the moment, the telephone rang and Aunt Petunia went to answer it while Harry and Uncle Vernon watched Dudley unwrap his racing bike, a video camera, a remote control airplane, 16 new computer games, and a VCR. He was ripping the paper off 
a gold wristwatch when Aunt Petunia came back from the telephone, looking both angry and worried. Bad news, Vernon, she said. Mrs. Figg's broken her leg. She can't take him. She jerked her head in Harry's direction. Dudley's mouth fell open in horror, but Harry's heart gave a leap. Every year on Dudley's birthday, his parents took him and a friend out for the day to adventure parks, hamburger restaurants, or the movies. Every year, Harry was left behind with Mrs. Fig, a mad old lady who lived two streets away. Harry hated it there. The whole house smelled of cabbage, and Mrs. Fig made him look at photographs of all of the cats she'd ever owned. Now what? said Aunt Petunia, looking furiously at Harry as if as though he had planned this. Harry knew he ought to feel sorry that Mrs. Fig had broken her leg, but it wasn't easy for her uh, when he reminded himself that he would that it would be a whole year before he had to look at Tibbles, Snowy, Mr. Paws, and Tuffy again. We could phone March, Uncle Vernon suggested. Don't be silly, Vernon. She hates the boy. The Dursleys often spoke about Harry like this, as though he wasn't there, or rather as though he was something very nasty that um, couldn't understand them, like a slug. What about, what's her name, your friend Yvonne? On vacation in Majorca, snapped Aunt Petunia. You can leave him here, or you could just leave me here, Harry put in, hopefully. He'd be able to watch what he wanted on television for a change and maybe even go on Dudley's computer. Aunt Petunia looked as though she had just swallowed a lemon. And come back to find the house in ruins, she snarled. I won't blow up the house, said Harry, but they weren't listening. I suppose we could just take him to the zoo, said Aunt Petunia slowly, and leave him in the car? That car's new. He's not sitting alone. Dudley began to cry loudly. In fact, he wasn't really crying. It was, um, it had been years since he'd really cried. But he knew that if he screwed up his face and wailed, his mother would give him anything he wanted. Dinky Dunlums, don't cry. Mummy won't let him spoil your special day. She cried, flinging her arms around him. I don't want him to come, Dudley yelled between huge pretend sobs. He always spoils everything. He shot Harry a nasty grin through the gap in his mother's arms. Just then, the doorbell rang. Oh, good lord, they're here, said Aunt Petunia frantically. And a moment later, Dudley's best friend, Pierce Polkins, walked in with his mother. Pierce was a scrawny boy with a face like a rat. He was usually the one who held people's arms behind when um, behind their backs when Dudley hit them. Dudley stopped pretending to cry at once. Half an hour later, Harry, who couldn't believe his luck, was sitting in the back of the Dursley's car with Pierce and Dudley on the way to the zoo for the first time in his life. His aunt and uncle hadn't been able to think of anything else to do with him before they left. Uncle Vernon had taken Harry aside. I'm warning you, he said. 
putting his large purple face right up close to Harry's. I'm warning you now, boy, any funny business, anything at all, and you'll be in that cupboard from now until Christmas.'